Well, good morning, New Hope. Glad that you're here this morning. For those who are streaming in this morning, welcome as well to New Hope Community Church. We are one family here this morning. I'm excited as we finish off this series called Overcoming, and it's a series again that you voted on. We had 20 different topics of areas we wanted to overcome in our life. You picked the top six that you felt like, hey, this is an area that I would like to overcome in my life. And today we're looking at the topic of overcoming selfishness. Now, I think we understand ourselves. We understand those around us. We live in the world, right? And so we chose this topic here this morning. I didn't, as your pastor, choose it for you. You chose it. So, But I am in it as well when it comes to the whole idea of selfishness. Now, next week, we kick off a new series called Mercy. And there's little cards next to you in your chairs. These are to invite your neighbor or coworker or friend or family member. We want to be inviters here. We want to fill up the churches in Isani County with Christ followers, right? We want to be a county that overcomes, period, by following the Christ. And we do that by being inviters to others. And the next series is called Mercy, based on the life of Jonah. And so I invite you to take that card and use it to invite someone else. You may have heard the story of two friends who met for dinner at a restaurant. Each requested filet of sole. And after a few minutes, the waiter brought them their order. Two pieces of fish, a large and a small, on the same platter. One of the men proceeded to serve his friend. Placing the small piece on a plate, he handed it across the table to his friend. Well, you certainly do have the nerve, exclaimed his friend. What's troubling you? asked the other. Look what you've done, he answered. You have given me the small piece and you have kept the large piece for yourself. Well, how would you have done it? The man asked. You, the big guy. If I were serving, I would have given you the big piece. Well, replied the man, I've got it, haven't I? (laughs) And at this, both of the men laughed, right? We are challenged (laughs) when it comes to selfishness. And so this morning, I'm not wearing the shirt shirt here with the big S on it because I'm Superman, far from it. I'm wearing it because every morning we roll out of bed, we have the choice whether we are going to be the S, that is selfishness, self-serving and self-absorbed, or are we gonna roll out of bed and be the S, that is selflessness and a life of service to others. Which S is it going to be in our lives? Because we struggle with selfishness. Now, most of us put the disciples of Jesus on this pedestal. Why? Because 11 out of the 12 were martyred. I mean, they gave their lives for following Jesus. They were put to death. 
But if we would rewind in their earlier days of following Jesus, we would sort of see a different kind of life. We read in Matthew 20, 20, that the wife of Zebedee went to Jesus and asked him, can my two sons be on your right and your left when you establish your kingdom? That was James and John, two of the disciples. Well, the other disciples got wind of this request, and there was this big argument among them about, well, who should be able to sit on Jesus' right and left? We read in Mark chapter 9, when Jesus was entering the city of Capernaum, he entered the city and he asked the disciples, once they got into a home, hey, what were you arguing about on the road? And it says in the text, they remained silent. Why? Because they were arguing amidst one another, who was the greatest? Who was number one among the disciples? Well, I'm number one. Well, I should be number one. Oh, they picked me first. You know, all that stuff. Who was the greatest? We see in John chapter 13, it's the Last Supper. It's a few nights before Jesus is nailed to a piece of wood, the cross, for our sins so they could be forgiven. The disciples gather in the upper room. Typically, before a communal meal in that culture, you would wash your feet before you'd have dinner because they reclined at the table so their feet were where their noses were. (laughs) And in that culture with sandals and mud and grime and dust, it would take out the meal. But in the upper room, there was no slave to wash the feet. Nor did any one of the disciples make any kind of move to watch their fellow disciples' feet. I'm not doing it. But we see Jesus enter into the scenario, sees the situation, and he takes off his robe and puts it around his waist. I found this interesting picture while I was studying for this topic. And it's this picture of these trees, and the first few trees are cut off, and it says, end ship, end ship. The first three trees, the letters, are F-R-Y-I, F-R-I, friendship. But it says end ship. Do you know how to end a friendship and make it end ship? By living a life of selfishness. We can destroy any relationship around us by living a life that is self-absorbed, that is about us, a life of selfishness. It will make every relationship we're in a relationship of end ship. Years ago, when I was youth pastor in this community, one of the summer projects we would do is we would paint three houses for individuals who were in need. And so they would uh, fill out an application, we'd go through the application, and then we would raise the money to pay to paint the houses. The youth would scrape and paint the houses, and I'd have other adults working with me on these three homes. And I remember 
one summer working at a job and one of our youth sponsors, gals that would volunteer with us, was called, her name was Kay Hirsch, since has passed away. But as I was working alongside of her and still newly married then, I turned to her and I asked, Kay, what do you think is the, the, the main destroyer of marriage? And she didn't even flinch. She turned to me and she said, selfishness, selfishness. Man, and ship, right? Any relationship we're involved with, if we want it to end, just continue to live a life of selfishness, right? So how is it then, as Christ followers, do we overcome this area of being self-absorbed, living a life of selfishness? Well, Paul gives us some instruction in Philippians chapter two. He's writing to the church of Philippi, these instructions. And so the first instruction to them is to be like-minded. Be like-minded. He says in verse two, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Did you hear that? Be like-minded. Be like each other, okay? Be like one another. I like the sign that was on this boy's clubhouse that they built up in the tree, their tree house. And before you entered in the door, the sign read, nobody's large here, nobody's small here. We're all medium. We're all medium. Be like-minded. Hey, we're all medium. Nobody's more important. Nobody's less important. We're all medium. Paul gives us this warning in Romans 12, 3. He says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. What he's saying is, hey, listen, don't think of yourself too large. Don't think of yourself too small. You are medium. We're all medium in Christ. There's the quote, when they discover the center of the universe, a lot of people are going to be disappointed they are not it, <laughs> Right? Oh, I thought I was the center of the universe. Oh, you're not. You're not. We're all medium. So Paul's saying, hey, listen, you want to overcome selfishness? Be like-minded. Be medium. But then he moves on from there, and he says, be humble. Be humble. He goes on in verse 3 and 4, and he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, trying to get yourself ahead of everybody else or vain conceit, like, hey, it's about me, right? Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Looking beyond ourselves here. I like C.S. Lewis's definition of humility. He says this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, Get that? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So what he's saying here and what Paul is saying here is, listen, 
Don't think of yourself as small. No, think of yourself as medium. You're medium. Just don't think of yourself so much. Look not only to your own interests, but beyond your interests to the interests of others. So we all win. C.R. Gibson in his book, Wellsprings of Wisdom, tells the story of Ralph L. Woods, a farmer who was ambitious and who was unhappy about the yield his crops were producing. So he heard about this highly recommended new seed corn. He bought some and produced a crop that was so abundant that it astonished his neighbors. And his neighbors asked him to sell them a portion of this new seed. But the farmer, afraid that he would lose a profitable, competitive advantage over his fellow farmers, refused to sell them any seed. The second year, the new seed did not produce as good a crop. The third year, the crop was even worse. And it dawned on the farmer that his prized corn was being pollinated by the inferior grade of corn from his neighbor's fields. And so they all ended up losing in the end. Why? Because he was unwilling to sell his fellow farmers this seed. And if he would have, they all would have profited. They all would have moved forward. Never let the things you want make you forget the things you have. Never let the things you want make you forget the things you have. James 3.16 says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder and every evil thing. We see that. Why? Because we live in the world. We live in the world. We see it around us. Combating the sin of selfish ambition requires a genuine humility, a character of humility that does not appear more important than others, restores and it retains relationships. There's no such thing as an end ship in those relationships where you're looking beyond your own interest to the interest of others you are with. Being humble involves having a true perspective of ourselves in relation to God. As Christ followers, we have this. Our identity is in what God says about us, how he provides for our daily bread needs. Our identity isn't just in, hey, this world of 70 to 80 to 90 years is it, but man, we have an eternity ahead of us. And so we are called as Christ followers to live differently, to have a different perspective, and to live a life of Christ, of one of humility. It's interesting that Americans constitute 5% of the world's population, but yet we consume 24% of the world's natural resources. 24%, a quarter of the world's natural resources, we consume. 
even though our population is minute to many other countries of this world. It's amazing. It's interesting, National Geographic did a study called Green Decks, which is a study on lifestyle. And they said in their Green Decks study, they found that the American consumers rank last of the 17 countries surveyed in regard to sustainable behavior. What they're saying is, if we are going to continue to live as consumers, continue to live a life of selfishness, that it is all about us, and we are just going to consume, consume as much of the natural resources in the world as possible, they're saying it's not doable. It's not sustainable. At some point, something's going to hit the fan or it's going to get ugly here. And what we often forget is we don't own it. It's not ours. God owns it all, and he has just put us as stewards of it for his sake. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So we are his. Everything is his. And we are called to handle it wisely. And in doing so, to live a life of humility, recognizing, yeah, we have to take care of ourselves at times, but we need to look beyond ourselves to the interest of others. And the only way that we can move to that is lastly, what Paul says, is to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. Dale Carnegie, in his famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, says this, when we are not engaged in thinking about some definite problem, we usually spend 95% of our time thinking about ourselves. 95% of the time thinking about ourselves. And so Paul challenges this kind of culture. And he says, as he continues to write to the church in verses five through eight, he says, in your relationships, whether it's your marriage with your kids, with your neighbor, with your coworker, with your employer or employees, with whoever's in Walmart with you at the time or Target or any other place, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And what was Jesus' mindset? who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Death on a cross. There was this big movement a few years ago called I Am Second. There were wristbands, T-shirts, there were videos, uh, testimonies, all that kind of stuff of individuals coming out and saying, listen, God is first, I am second. But I would have renamed the campaign, honestly, to what his life was. I am third. I am third. Because that's what Jesus' life was. He was third. It's God first. My wife second. 
me third. It's God first, my kids second, me third. It's God first, my neighbor second, me third. It's God first, my coworker or staff, and me third. It's God first, whoever's in line by me second, me third. That's Jesus to be like Christ is worth third. What was Jesus' response to the three situations I shared with you when I started? Matthew 20, 20, the wife of Zebedee comes and says, hey, I want my two sons to sit at your right and to your left. Jesus responds, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, and he gave his life as a ransom for many. In Matthew chapter nine, the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest. And Jesus says, anyone who wants to be first must be last and the servant of all. You wanna be first? You wanna be the top dog leader? Rearrange the S in how you read it on your shirt. John 13, we know the end of the story. Jesus gets up, wraps his robe around his waist, grabs the basin and the towel, and he washes every disciple's feet. And then he says to them, as your rabbi, your Messiah, as your teacher has washed your feet, now go and do likewise. And he's just not talking feet here. He is like, go and serve. Be the lowest of servant to others around you. You see, the opposite of selfishness is selflessness. You just need to rearrange a few letters in the middle there. And the outcome is service to others around us. New Hope's vision is this, to see Isani County and beyond filled with the presence of Jesus. Man, they just see Jesus everywhere. Well, who is going to bring the presence of Jesus? We are, his followers. And so he calls us to roll out of bed and make sure we're wearing the right S when we leave the house and when we live in the house. And I know that in my life, in your life, we can't do it. That's why he's implanted his Holy Spirit in us to get us there. And that's why he says in Philippians 1.6, God who began a good work in you and me will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. What we need to do is when we roll out of bed in the morning, we just need to invite him over and over again. Jesus, make me a servant like you. Rearrange the S on my outfit this day. And may I be like you. So let me leave you with this thought. What would it be like in our marriage our family, our neighborhood, our workplace, our schools, our city, our county, our country, our world. If our lives went from 95% thinking about us to 50% thinking about others first, and then 50% thinking about us. This city of Cambridge would be transformed. It would like, be amazing. This county 
would be like no other county in the state. This country would be looked upon and this world would be changed. But it takes the Christ followers to lead and others will follow. This last Tuesday night, I picked my daughter up coming back from Monticello basketball game. It was 10 o'clock at night. It snowed all day. It was getting real cold, below zero. And I pulled up to the high school waiting for the bus, and there were all these cars out there of players who could drive and coaches and that. And I was the first one to pull up. I was waiting. And I sensed God say, hey, get out of the car and start scraping and cleaning. So I jumped out of the car with my scraper and that and scraping and cleaning cars off. A few other parents pulled up, were sitting there and recognized what was going on. They all jumped out and that and started cleaning. Not every parent that pulled out, jumped out, took a car on hand, all this stuff. And it was like this big party going on. Yeah, how'd you hear they did? Yeah, all that stuff. And that, and here comes the bus in. You could just see the girls were just like, whoa, what's going on? Because they were coming home and they were thinking, oh man, I've been gone since seven in the morning at school, basketball. I got to clean off my car. It's below zero. I got to scrape it, all that stuff. And they showed up and it was done. Got in their cars and went. They were like, hey, whoa. <laughs> Got in their cars and left. But my challenge to each one of us is that as Christ followers, as Jesus in us, we are to be the lead. And I believe the world will follow. But we're going to have to come to the end of ourselves first. Our comfort level. And we got to, every morning when we look in the mirror, make sure we're wearing the right S. So as we close this series, there's no better way to remind us of what servanthood looks like than to celebrate the Lord's Supper. The one who gave us the ultimate example, who came and died on the cross for our sins so they could be forgiven. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask you to come out to the right and to come up and partake. Just grab a cracker, dip it in the cup, but then I want you to pause and I want you to pray, Jesus, please rearrange the S every morning in my life on my outfit, in my demeanor. And then partake and come back to your seat. The worship team will close us together with a song. We can overcome. We already have. The Holy Spirit's in us, and he can turn this S thing around. Let's pray. Father God, transform us. We want it. Transform us. And may we be servants. May you increase and we decrease. May others increase and we decrease. And may we look past our own interests to the interest of others. In your name, amen.